Howdy, it's Zilla Files. Welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave from EscapingTheCave.com. I'm your friendly and I'm your cordial host, Cosmopolitan. Mr. Congeniality, did you know that I won the Mr. Congeniality Award? The Mr. New Mexico Mr. Congeniality Award of the year 2011. A lot of fierce competition between me and Walter White. Now, he had the uh, meth thing going, so I won. Mr. Congeniality. Talked at schools, gave a lot of lectures around UNM. Right up to the Navajo Res. <clears throat> Did a lot of interactive therapy with those folks. That's why they're doing so well. A little town called Springer in New Mexico. I'm a legend there for my congenialness. I'm full of copious amounts of shit, too. I'm in such a weird place right now, I don't even know where to begin. I think I came back way too quick. Sometimes when I take these things, I don't do it intentionally. Most of the time, I don't. I took two months off at the end of last year. Uh, between the end of October, I guess, and uh, January 13th, I think I came back. A little over two months, something like that. Didn't mean to. Wasn't intentional. I just could not come in here. Had nothing to say. I didn't feel like I had anything coherent to say, and it wasn't. there was no urge for me to spit it out. Quite the opposite, actually, and I you know, kept track of my numbers and things like that, as uh, podcasters do, and I suffered greatly for it. People going back and finding the old stuff occasionally, you know, that's fine, pretty consistently, but the new material really drives everything. That's the nature of podcasting. It's why they tell you, be consistent, make sure you're releasing on a regular basis. Well, whatever. I didn't. It came back in January, and it took me a good month to get things back. Now, March... The number skyrocketed. People were home in March, and apparently my material was resonating with people because I had more downloads in the month of March, but not too a pretty typical month as far as numbers of uh, episodes. Well, the the totals were astronomical. I was happy with that, of course. You know, anybody's performing or producing anything, they want people. They feel good when people find it and consume it. And then all of a sudden, April comes along. And again, I could not come in here. I don't know if I was overwhelmed with material. I don't know if it was the isolation. I don't know if it was the self-ostracization combined with the state-ordered ostracization. I hope I'm saying that right. I don't think I am. I don't know what it was. But it really bothers me because this, this pandemic, the situation that we're in with the media and the coronavirus... Everything else, everything else, from all that right up to the politics, to the the Trump disinfectant scandal, whatever you want to call that thing, it all falls, I keep saying this, right into my wheelhouse, right into what I'm talking about on a regular basis. And it occurred to me today, actually that's not true been kind of gurgling around in my head for a while, but I think I'm getting to the end of what I want to do with this material. I don't know where else to take it. I mean, I do. There's endless supplies, endless things to talk about with it, different ways really to say the same thing and go into more detail about it, but it it pretty much says the same thing. I'm pretty sure I've said... (laughs) 
everything that needs to be said in a non-academic setting. I think you get it by now. If you've been listening to this thing at all, if you're familiar with me in the podcast, you know what I'm trying to say. You have the gist of this. There's more from Alul. Uh, there's a lot more from Lippman. Get into I haven't even I never even got around to Gustav Lebon and the mob stuff. The herd mentality. Never really, really got into that. It's fascinating shit. I find it fascinating. Edward Bernays. The idea that you don't even have to be together. You don't even have to be congregated physically together to be part of a mob, to be part of a collective, a stupid collective, a lobotomized herd. You don't have to do that. It's everywhere. Everywhere you look, man, it's everywhere. And so being obsessed with this material and studying it constantly, constantly on my own time, on my own time, and then... When I'm not studying it, since I can't leave, I can't really do much else. Of course, I'll flip over to the television news or the internet, social media primarily, but the websites as well, the news. I'm doing the air quotes of the news outlets. And there it is again. Everything that I'm seeing, everything that I'm talking about, everything that I have ranted about, yelled at you about, the the collective you. I like to talk in terms of you all the time. I'm talking about the collective, not really anybody specifically. I'm talking to specific groups of people, but not anyone with a face. Let's put it that way. It gets a little confusing with me sometimes. I understand that. But it's everywhere. I cannot escape it. I can't escape it. It's ubiquitous. It's eating at me. It's infecting. Maybe I'm projecting a little bit. I don't know. But it's affecting how I see people that I've been in touch with, communicating with on social media for 10 years that I've known much longer than that. But Seeing it through this psychological lens, seeing it through this herd mentality lens, the propaganda lens, the disinformation lens, the post hoc reasoning lens, the Don Quixote lens, the elephant lens, however you want to phrase this about 15 different ways, but seeing everything that's going on now has been going on for a really long time. Seeing these individuals and these situations, these current events situations, through this filter is suffocating. Because I honestly believe this, and I don't really think there's any argument here, it's taking over everything via the technology and the ubiquitous media that we live in, we are immersed in in 2020. And it's only going to get worse. I had a nice conversation. One good thing about getting rid of everybody on Facebook, I've had some nice organic voice-to-voice conversations last week or so. It's been nice. I have to say, and I had a really good one with Chris tonight, Friar Chris, Travel Chris, out there in Massachusetts, talking about what's going on with him how he's sort of perceiving things, what's happening out in Western Mass. And he and I have a history. He and I have uh, not only the travel stuff, but the conversations. I mean, he and I bonded over traveling. I met him in 2005 when I was looking for examples of people who had been out and gone traveling around the country. My first idea was to walk. I wanted to go out. This is the vision I had. A lot of you know the story. I've got a lot of new listeners. So here's a little background for your your friendly neighborhood, Toddzilla, here. In 2005, I started Stream of Consciousness writing, 
one of the first things that I came up with was this vision that I had of me in my early 30s loading up a backpack with a few books and probably a radio and walking out into some down some road somewhere, just getting rid of everything, cutting the noise. I'd read uh, Henry David Thoreau not recently, or not long before that, I should say, and uh, really resonated with me. Getting rid of cutting the fat off of everything. This would become, a few years later, the signal-to-noise ratio idea that I had. But this was the first manifestation of that, and it sounded great. I was doing radio at the time. We were living in Florida. Wasn't happy there. Wasn't really sure where life was going. I knew that the uh, careerism wasn't working for me. or was at the very end of working for me. I had an idea where this was going. That was the first inclination that I had, the first inkling I had for what became my hitchhiking and traveling. Took a long time to get there. So I had no idea about any of this. I didn't know if anybody really did it. I mean, I'd heard kind of things, but I wanted to, I wanted to get an idea of what it would take to do that and how people pulled it off. So I went online and started Googling things. I wanted to find people who had written about it, talked about it, maybe some news stories or anything. I ended up finding Chris's website. I don't think we were calling it blogs then, maybe. I don't know. But I found it, and I spent a couple of hours reading it. And what I was impressed with was that it was honest. Things went bad. He said they went bad. He was going through a breakup with some girl while he was out there traveling. It was really difficult. He told everybody about it, and he was honest. Really impressed with that. The vulnerability, I guess. So anyway, I sent him an email, and we started a little email exchange dialogue thing. No big deal. Well, Hurricane Ivan came to the uh, Gulf Coast of Florida, I guess maybe, what, month? about a month later. And by the end of October, my girlfriend and I were packing up the U-Haul. I'd gotten sick of everything. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I've always wanted to live in Santa Fe. I'm going to Santa Fe. Sweetheart, if you want to come with me, by all means, let's go. If not, it's cool. You can go back to Michigan. Beginning of November, long story short, I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I had to take her back to Michigan because she wasn't sure she wanted to follow me out there, to be honest with you. And we pack up the car, and we head from New Mexico to Michigan via Denver, where he lived. And that's when we met. We met when I passed through there, and we spent about two hours, I think, two, three hours at a Denny's, just talking about shit. And that's how the friendship started. And then when the radio career ended, he was sort of a catalyst. He's a, he's a catalyst for me. He's sort of a provocateur. He's the guy. He's that friend of yours that will stand at the door while you're in the threshold and just give you a slight push. He served that purpose really well for me, incredibly well, not only with the hitchhiking, getting, in, getting me into Mexico. I mean, he was already down there, gave me somebody to go see. He provided that bait down in Peru, place to land, place to go, reason to go, really. And he uh, repeated and reprised or reprised that role back in 2017 with the hitchhiking, the last hitchhiking trip that I took in Massachusetts and New England. Anyway, we have this background. We have a foundation. And when I started doing my hitchhiking, the very first trip that I took, uh, I left from Denver with him. We went to Jackson Lake State Park, which is in the eastern part of the state. And at that point in time, he and I were batting around some really heady ideas, a lot of which had come individually, but in similar ways through the writing and through some of the traveling, which I had yet to do. This is really confusing if you don't have the background. I understand that. 
but it's really uh, almost metaphysical stuff. Uh, Pseudo-religion, borderline religion without any kind of a title or a name, right? Like the universe looking out for you type stuff. I've talked about this before. I've criticized this before because I understand it. (laughs) I get it. I do. I get the allure of it. I get where it comes from. And so we have this foundation. He never really left that. He's amended it. Uh, he's gotten a lot more cynical, I think healthily cynical, in the last uh, few years of things have gone uh, sort of the way they're going. But his core foundational beliefs, his, I'm going to call them religious beliefs. He may not like that, but that's what I think they are. His religious beliefs have pretty much remained the same. Whereas I have completely abandoned it. I've talked about losing my religion. That's what I'm talking about because I discovered what became post hoc rationalization, what was named and articulated and described brilliantly by Jonathan Haidt, I found at the end of 2009 with Chris. I called it the Don Quixote complex, Don Quixote syndrome. Really kind of a messy, foggy idea, but I finally came to the conclusion, the realization, the observation that people have a very potent, powerful means of deluding themselves, kidding themselves, deceiving themselves silently within their own minds. Don Quixote, he would attack windmills because in his mind, he saw a giant, an evil giant holding a fair maiden hostage, and he had to, you know, rescue her, all that shit. That's where the idea of that's why I called it Quixote, because you see what is not there. Your mind has the capacity to do that. And that changed everything for me. The first two years while I was hitchhiking, we were talking about the universe and and signs and you know all these these great things that were happening, right? How it felt like, and this is not imaginary. You may be sitting there chuckling. I get that. It's okay. Chuckle along all you want to. But this stuff, there's something to it. I know that sounds really bizarre coming from me, but so many people, so many disconnected people talk about the same thing. It even has a name. It has a name among people who hitchhike, people who travel. They call it trail magic. Where something, it it always seems like something, comes along at the right time. The thing you need comes along at the right time, even if you don't know you need it. There is something to that. And if you've never experienced it, if you've never seen it firsthand, I understand you cannot possibly conceive what the hell I'm talking about. And you probably think that it's just something that I made up in my mind. But you have got to understand something here. I have tried with every ounce of my being for the last uh, 10 years. It's going to be 10 years in, in October since I came up with this. I have tried to extract that from my soul amputate that from my cerebral cortex. But I cannot, for the love of God, for the life of me, I cannot sit here and say that I made all of that up. I can't. I could tell you about the day that I met the famous Andre out in Oregon. I could tell you so many stories. Where at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the trip, if you were to look back at it, it seems scripted. This is not a Tonzilla original. So many people have told me the same thing when they're out traveling. When they've they've gotten done and they've looked back upon the experience, it looks like somebody was writing it for them. There's a lot to this. 
But everything changed for me in 2010. Because 2008 and 2009 were filled with that. Up until this day in Port Townsend, when I had that realization. It's a moment. And the next year, the experience of 08 and 09 were so powerful. The, the, the new family stuff and the people that I've met and seen, the experiences I'd had, the insights that I've found. I was damn sure I was going to be out all of 2010. I got out of the, out of the apartment in January, left Santa Fe, New Mexico, and went to Slab City. Met Chris out there. Slab City, someplace I'd always wanted to go. Google Slab City, Google um, 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 Leonard Knight. If you've seen Into the Wild, Leonard Knight's in there. He's the old guy out of Salvation Mountain in the desert, Imperial Valley, California. One of the most bizarre places on earth. I spent a few days there with Chris, my buddy uh, Hefe, Jeff. And while I was there, uh, so many things happened there. I, I'm not going to bother with the whole thing. It'll take 20 minutes to tell you about it. But while I was there, we met another guy. His name was Ray. I, I've never been religious. But there was one line in the Bible. Easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. A corrupting influence of money. I was really big on that idea. And Ray had quit a job as... A repossessor, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on what they call those people right now, but somebody who would go and you'd be in debt and they'd go repossess your shit. He was making really good money doing that, really good money, and he was really good at it. He could find, according to him anyway, and I believe him, he could find anybody. But something happened. He had something in his soul, a cancer in his soul. He didn't want to do it anymore. I related to that. I related it to my radio career. And so what he did was he decided he was going to get in a backpack and he was going to go off and he was going to try to set some record, walking record. But he was going to do it uh, for the Sierra Club. To raise awareness for the Sierra Club, he had uh, sponsorships from some outdoor companies as well. So he was trying to sell stuff while he was out there. Anyway, the cynicism. Healthy, I thought, and I still think to a degree it is healthy. This is complicated. But the cynicism and the negativity... That was so positive. The, the positive attitude from 08 and 09 became that cynicism in 2010. As early as January, had I guess it had been festering all winter. As I thought about this coyote thing and how people deceive themselves, and not only deceive themselves, but deceive everyone else, sometimes unwittingly. Saw it myself, saw it in a lot of people. I began to look at people and question their motives, question what was really going on in their head. And by God, for the love of God, for the love of Christ, I can't say I was wrong about that most of the time. This is complicated. But that became my focus. After a while, well, let's rewind. I left Slab City. Ray and I made uh, arrangements to meet in California a couple of weeks later. I went back to New Mexico, got a ride share off Craigslist, and went back out to California to a campground that I was familiar with from 08 and met Ray and someone else there. He and I and this other person spent a couple of days traveling, and things went to shit. It's all on my blog, uh, ToddzillaX.com, the old blog. I never finished that story either. Probably a reason for that. But anyway, that was the first indication. Our relationship going to hell. A relationship that was really, it was based on some solid stuff, some really common ideas outside of the religious literalism. So anyway, this thing falls apart and I wind up back in New Mexico. I'm licking my wounds here. 
into March because this was, this was completely different. This ended, the trip was fine, but that specific focal point of it should have went better than it did. And the traveling for the rest of 2010, I didn't do much. I did not do much at all until August. And I took a trip up to uh, upstate New York. It began so well. The perfect ride across country got picked up in Denver, dropped off in Utica, New York. Utica? No. Ithaca. Finger Lakes area, man. It's awesome. So beautiful out there. The hitchhiking was good. The walking was good. Got up to Watertown, up toward Messino, New York, where I had done remote radio from my, my house in Kalamazoo a few years ago. It was great. I was on my way to Maine. <laughs> That'll make some of you laugh. I've targeted Maine so many times. It's the only, only state in the lower 48 I haven't gotten to, and I've targeted it five times. Anyway, this is where the ass crack incident happened. A lot of you folks that have been familiar with me for a long time have heard about that. Upstate New York, right on the St. Lawrence Seaway, I've got a blister the size of a half dollar on my heel. Tended to get those. It would knock me off the road for a while. I'd have to just stop and let it heal so it wouldn't get infected. I couldn't walk anyway, really, not, not, not to speak of, especially not with boots and a backpack on. Anyway, right around, uh, where was it, uh, Pirates Bay? No, Alexandria Bay. There was the Pirate Festival in Alex Bay, right on the St. Lawrence River. August, I mean, it's the perfect time of year. Up there, it's incredible and incredibly beautiful. Oh, my God. And up at a campground, my little teepee tent, and I'm just basically licking my wounds, and I meet a guy named Bill. Start getting along. We start to, you know, drink beer and bonding and having a nice conversation and all that. Everything was great. For a minute. And then something happened. This is becoming a pattern. I don't even, to be honest with you, I don't remember the specifics of what happened. I think I started messing around with somebody. Oh, yes. Go read the story. ToddZillaX.com. Look for the ass crack incident. I think it's actually posted. This might be at uh, escapingthecave.com. If you go on a computer, I have some of the old material on the right-hand side. Read up on that if you want the details. But anyway, this falls apart. The, the, the rangers are called at like 3 o'clock in the morning, drunk, been drinking all day. And they're like, uh, are you uh, a registered camper? And I'm like, uh, no, because I wasn't. They had let me in. The, the, the employees at the state park took pity on me. They were pretty much empty. They weren't full and like, yeah, go ahead and take a site. We won't say anything. So I wasn't registered. Rangers get called. I can't say that I'm registered anywhere. And they're like, okay, well, you got to go. I'm drunk. Huge blister on my heel still. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm having to shove all of my shit into a backpack. <laughs> and being shoved out, I don't even know where I'm going. It was great. Uh, cops took me out of town about two miles. They, they uh, took me to a trailhead next to this little lake. And like, okay, well, here you go. Good luck. Best we can do. Like, all right, thanks. At least they were cool about that. Couldn't really say much. And I throw my bivy down, and I'm just like, fuck this day. I'm going to bed. Good night. We'll worry about this in a few hours. Hopefully, nobody steps on me when the sun comes up. Get up the next morning. <laughs> Montezuma's, re now, Bush Light's revenge hits me. Digestive turmoil. I am bitter as hell about what happened the night before. 
I'm like, you know what? Fuck this place. I don't give two shits about this place. I am angry and I have got to drop a load somewhere. I think I'll do it at the trailhead. Right in the middle of the trailhead, steaming pile of Todd. That was my thank you note to the good people of Alexandria Bay, New York. Bill specifically, who wasn't even from Alexandria Bay. I yeah, I, I don't do rational things sometimes. Again, I tell you the story because it's a fun story to tell. It's better on the blog. But again, this theme is continuing. This negativity theme was not there at all through 08 and 09. And a few other things happened. I'm knocked off the road. I have this basically an existential meltdown in Boise at my sister's house after that. Right around the time I, I turned 40 as well. So a lot going on. And lo and behold, that's pretty much the end of my uh, consistent hitchhiking around the U.S. That was it. By the next uh, January in 2011, I was in Mexico. And I started the international uh, Latin America stuff. That was pretty much it. But what I think happened is that I went from this positive attitude, this positive outlook, where I was looking for the good in people. I was looking for positive things to happen to me while I was out traveling. I was looking for good people because I knew they were there and they kept showing the fuck up. First time I went out, first day, I'm asking, where are all the assholes at? Where are they? Where are all these criminals? Where are all these people who want to kill me and want to, you know, take my shit and steal my cliff bars? I am not finding them. Where are all the assholes? I wrote it. I wasn't finding them. And it occurred to me, slowly in waves, on and off, multiple times, it occurred to me that it was because I was looking for good things. I was putting off a positive energy. And I was getting responses in kind. However, after the Coyote Insight observation, whatever you want to call it, I started looking for the negative. I started seeking out flaws in people's motives, deceptions, interpersonal deceptions. And that's when everything changed. Everything changed. And I started getting that negative energy back. So the Latin America travel stuff started. That was different. That was new. I never really had a problem with that. That was just different. That was backpacking. Going to see things. Going to see sites, places, landscapes. Frolicking at hostels in the, in, the, in the Caribbean Sea or maybe in the Pacific. Being beaten up by waves. Hanging out at hostels drinking with kids half my age. It was a different animal. Still had its own insights, but it, th th this didn't really apply so much anywhere in Latin America on any of those trips. But I did find that positive energy down there. There were moments. There were some really powerful moments as well. After a classmate of mine died in 2015, I was in Salento, Colombia, sitting in my tent, and I had this, this such a powerful insight of, it's hard to explain if you're not, you don't have the frame of reference. But I'm having all this happen, somebody that I, 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 I truly thought a lot of had passed away from cancer. That had a big effect on me. And I'm sitting in my tent and then like this this just this powerful, overwhelming feeling of live more, plan less. Stay out here. Do more of this. Don't worry about later on. I mean it was it was literally overwhelming. I sat there and I it's one of the best things I think I've ever wrote. I don't know that I ever showed it to anybody else. Other than the the basic idea. 
And that's happened multiple times. When I'm not looking for the negative or I'm looking for the positive, good things happen. That you can't stop them in situations. It's weird, man. I know it sounds weird. But as soon as you start, it, I can't say you. I'm not going to be declarative about this because this, is, this, this part here is in my experience. But when I started looking and seeking and focusing and obsessing on the negative in people, everything changed. These are two different experiences. Right? Uh, I could talk about 2016. I won't. The one I want to talk about, though, I had a huge reminder about two years ago. This was my last hitchhiking trip, and it was uh, through Vermont and a little bit of upstate New York, right around uh, Lake Champlain. Okay? I got stuck in a rainstorm walking. Wasn't getting picked up. Foot was starting to hurt this nerve thing that I've got. First starting to feel it, so I was hobbled. And it's, I got hit by a deluge, man. A hell of a rainstorm. I'm walking into this town, uh, Fairhaven. And at this very, very far end of Fairhaven is a, um, an American Legion. And I'm like, ooh, an American Legion. Get a burger, got a shake at this little stand next door, and I can get in here. You know what? I'm just going to go in, and I'm going to sit my butt down. I'm going to ride this out. I'll see if they'll let me have a beer. Hopefully, they'll let me just go in, sit down. Hopefully, I don't have to be a member. I didn't know, but I just want to go in and sit. There are a lot of people in here. I think this is a Saturday. And I walk in just dripping wet, this big, huge backpack dangling from my back. Got my, my Indiana Jones hat on, and everybody looks at me like, what the hell just walked in here? I'm like, hey, how you doing? You mind if I hang out until the rain stops? And the, the chick's like, sure, whatever. I'm like, thank you. Set my bag down, go to the bathroom. And as I'm out smoking a cigarette, some dude had seen me come in, followed me out back, and started chatting me up. Like, what are y'all doing? What you up to? You all right? You everything cool? I'm like, yeah, I'm just out hitchhiking. It's kind of what I do. I got stuck in this rainstorm heading up toward Rouse's Point. Figure maybe I'll decide whether I'm going to go into Canada or back over to... I don't know what I'm doing. I would like to get to Maine, though. <laughs> Again, still hadn't gotten there. He's like, well, listen, man, I'm heading over toward Whitehall. If you want to ride over there, that's cool. You can come over. I'm a member. I, I, I'm really, you know, kind of highly connected with the, the Legion over there. We can put you up in the backyard. If you got a tent, we can, we can let you sleep there. I see your boots are soaked because I told him my, my boots had started leaking that day. Gore-Tex had, had broken down. I told him about it. He's like, sure, man, come on over. And I throw my tent up over there in Whitehall, go in and have a beer with him at the American Legion. You know what he does? He throws me in his car, takes me to his house, takes my boots and throws them on a boot dryer he's got. And then he takes me over to a fireworks stand where his wife's working, and they have to tear it down because the, th the thunderstorms are all over the place. They're in a fireworks tent. Right? It's around the 4th of July. Got to close that shit down. So I go over, I help him out. Like The guy treated me like he had known me his entire life. He takes me up into the hills Gives me a view of the St. Lawrence Seaway, or the, not the St. Lawrence Seaway, the, uh, the very bottom tip of Lake Champlain. We go inside, I meet some of his friends. One guy had the bottom of his leg blown off in, a, in the war over in Iraq. He's telling me about everything that happened to him, how, you know, psychologically, how that, you know, affected him. And I'm just listening to the guy. I had one tiny piece of uh, psilocybin, mushrooms. I'm like, you know what, dude? You need this more than me. I'll bet you this helps. 
He's like, yeah, fuck it. I ain't got nothing to lose. The point is, they didn't have to do any of this stuff. Everybody treated me as though they had known me forever. This is the old stuff. This is the stuff that was happening in 2008 and 2009. It was happening with regularity. Not only just generosity, though, just common people, common connection, common human organic connection. It's something I miss. It's something you can't replicate on Facebook. But it reminded me, more importantly, it reminded me of that, those early days and how good people can be. I've talked about the God-Devil parable a number of times. I've talked about the human split. How we seem to be a schizophrenic species, a divided species, a species that consists of two different beings. And this got me to thinking about it because all of the stuff that I've been focusing on over the last year, all is center on what I've called the Blacklands of Simeon National Park. Right? I've explored that pretty extensively the last couple of years, last 10 years. But there's this whole other aspect over here. That's not the entire picture. The Blacklands are not the entire picture. I know this. I have seen it. I don't care if you believe me or not. I feel like I'm being defense because of all this stuff that I've been saying. It's only half of the story. And if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that there is a very positive, a very good, generous, caring, connecting trait to people, a streak in people that does seek that, that does offer that, you are mistaken. You are just as mistaken as any batshit Christian fundamentalist you can think of. It is there. The problem is, <laughs> in my obsession in, in, in exploring this part of humanity, this black part of humanity, this dark side, I've completely lost touch with the other side of this. Beyond these moments of remembrance, beyond these, these familiar scents that I get from, from 08 and 09, and other places, not just 08, I, I use that example because it was so consistent, but it's been a recurring thing. Andre, there's a couple back in 2016 on that trip that I took. Good, decent people. Coincidentally, who are not in a group. I want to laugh here. I want to give you the... <laughs> and that's not a, a laughing point. Because most often when you meet these people, you're meeting the individual. You're getting into a car with an individual. Or you're talking to an individual at the American Legion in Fairhaven, New York. Or from, is it Vermont? It might be Vermont. It's right on the state line. Do you really care about the geographic specifics? It's called Fairhaven. Look it up. You can tell me if it's... Actually, I think it's Vermont. But yeah, they're almost always individuals. And when you get those people and you start connecting and there's nobody else around, there's no show to put on for anybody. Just you and them having an organic conversation. An authentic conversation because they're going to be authentic with you. That's one of the beautiful things about hitchhiking and backpacking around this country. You're disposable. They're never going to see you again. They can be who they are without fear of everlasting judgment. Overall, 
most of the time, in my experience and Chris's experience and so many others, most of the time that experience is good. Those people that you interact with are decent people. Friar Chris and I did, I think, three episodes. They're way back there at the beginning of the, uh, the feed. They're long, too. Hitchhiking and philosophy. That one sticks out in my head. And listen to Chris talk about walking across the country. He walked from Savannah to Seattle one time. There's another one in there as well. I can't remember what the title of that one is. But if you're interested in this stuff and you're interested in hearing he and I talk about this, go listen to those episodes. It's an investment in time. But sitting here today, the last couple of days, realizing that I am losing touch with wholly, completely different aspect of this. I'm ignoring it. And I think I've gotten to the point with this material, with the propaganda stuff, with the black lands, as I call it, I don't know what use, what benefit there is of dwelling on it anymore. What else am I going to find that's going to explain things any more than I already have, right? There's got to be a more complete picture painted, though, I think. And if I go much further down this road, if I dwell too much longer in just the black, this is Nietzsche's abyss. I've experienced aspects of this before. I wrote about it in 2011. The abyss. That is on the blog. But you look too long into it. You know what happens? I may be giving you too much information here. That cynicism that I was applying to people, that I've been applying to people for 10 years, looking for in other people. You don't know it. You don't see it. I won't show it to you too often. But inevitably, when you look into the abyss, the abyss looks into you. Silently, subconsciously, consciously, doesn't matter. You will eventually take what you're applying to them, and you will start applying it to yourself. Personally, and maybe this is a virtue, maybe this is something noble. doesn't feel that way. I don't really give a shit if it's noble or not. It's a pain in the ass is what it is. But I'm just as critical and just as unforgiving of myself. I use that cynicism blade on myself just as much as I use on other people. And it's gotten to the point now. (laughs) I cannot allow myself any kind of positivity, any kind of hope. Because I'm always criticizing, always analyzing everything I'm thinking about. What am I doing and what do I really want out of this? Why am I doing this? And all of a sudden, the morrow of humanity, the, the essence of life, hope and purpose, The essence of life is just gutted from you. Who gives a shit about being right at that point when you're just basically a dead fish on the beach? Who cares? Well, but he was right. Who gives a fuck? That's an aspect that's been ignored. That's an aspect that the people that I have been associating with for a long time, the vast majority of them have ignored as well. This is not political. This is not ideological. But it seems that the ideologies like to do this to the other team. I'm not really prepared to run down and have a political discussion. I'm not really wanting to apply the political filter to this. But inevitably, it's one of the ways that we savage each other. I've talked about Solzhenitsyn a number of times in his biography, one of his biographies. He was talking about uh, 
how the red and white army savaged themselves, brutalized themselves at every opportunity, committed atrocities. Each of the armies committed atrocities upon the other, upon the population, to the point where there was no possibility of reunification, no possibility of reconciliation, regardless of how the revolution went. We have a tendency to do that to ourselves. Anyway, to wrap this up, I'm, <laughs> I think I promised you a political rant today. Oopsie. Sorry if you were looking forward to that. You got something different today. You got something a little special. But to wrap this up, I, I, I don't know what to do with this podcast at this point. But I, I do know that I, I don't want to continue beating the same dead horse. It's becoming mutilated at this point. I got to take it in another direction. Maybe finish up what I'm doing. You know, finish it up and then start venturing off somewhere else. Maybe toward Nicholas Carr. Maybe toward technology. Because technology is another aspect that I have largely, I, I can't say I've ignored it. I mean, I've talked about Twitter and Facebook and all that, but there's a lot more to it, a lot more of the, uh, the physical aspect. Physical changes in the brain caused by technology and the, the elasticity and the adaptability of the human brain. I'd like to talk more, at least a little bit more, about the, uh, the herd mentality, the mob mentality. Is there a point, though? Is there? Really? What am I gaining out of this? What is the point here? <laughs> Told Chris tonight, man. It's like I, 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 I have this image in my head. It's probably been put there by the coronavirus and the talk of the tsunami that's going to crash over the sword. Maybe that, that day, maybe it's provoked by that. But anyway, I feel like I'm standing on the shores in Indonesia back in 2004, December, and I'm looking out. Hey. Ooh. Oh. Oh, shit. Tidal wave. And then I look back over here, over behind me, a bunch of hippies partying at the resort up there. All-inclusive resort, they're rich hippies. <laughs> I'm like, hey, hey, excuse me, look. Ah. And they're up there looking down at me like, what's that retard doing? What's he saying? Can't understand him, give me a beer. Dance, retard, dance. Do hippies talk like that? Well, they do in this story. So I'm sitting here on the beach. Like, okay. Yep, that's a tidal wave. It's, it's, you're not listening. To, uh. Oh, shit. Well, what do I do? What do I do? Do I stay on the beach and keep yelling as the tidal wave comes closer and closer and closer and closer and closer? <laughs> I say, fuck you guys. Let's dentist doctor in this. Fuck you. I'm out of here. We're off to the hills, metaphorically speaking. Start talking about something else. It's coming either way. And it does feel like that. It feels like I'm standing on the beach and I'm looking down a tsunami. It's like pushing the Mississippi River upstream. That's how this feels. It's going to come either way. I cannot stop this. You can't stop it. Nobody can stop it. Nobody's going to change it. What's going to come is going to come and we deserve to get it good and hard. So why bother? It's an exercise in ego, maybe. All right. Sooner or later, I got to accept that. <laughs> I don't like it. I got to accept it. But I do. I'm up here dancing for you. <laughs> Clap for me. Well, all podcasters are doing. It's what everybody does now. We're all performers. One way or another. 
Just be aware of it. Aware of what you're doing. Why you're doing it. I'm trying, and I'll tell you, that awareness has is, is, is killed me. It's killing me. I'm questioning my motives all the time now. <gasps> Why aren't I perfect? I'm aware I should be able to change all. You can't change the human mind. You can't. You can't. You can train it. You can suppress it. You're not going to get rid of all that human DNA programming, the coding. You're not going to get rid of that. And once you start suppressing it, it's going to make itself seen and heard and felt. Different areas. Oh, you ought to see the thing I wrote about that. Oh, yeah. Maybe you will one day. Maybe you won't. I don't know what to do. Except wing it. This was supposed to be the intro to something else. This was, I was, yeah, I sat down thinking I was going to like talk for 10 minutes and I was going to you know, give you the political rant that I recorded last night. <laughs> no. So I don't know if I'm going to give you the political rant now. You want the, the Cliff Notes version? Trump's batshit. Joe Biden's senile. We're fucked. Does it help when I sing after I say we're fucked? Make it feel better. Spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. The medicine go down. ToddzillaX.com. Go check out that website. That's the old one. That's where all the travel writing is if you're interested in this stuff. Website is escapingthecave.com. Just fuck Twitter. Fuck Facebook. I'm not even going to mention it from now on. I promise. Make sure those feeds, Escaping the Cave, uh, podcast feed as well. We'll talk to you next time. So long.